Many years ago, you may remember the, the campaign that Ronald Reagan ran back in 1980 in the United States. Again, I'm dating myself. That's a few years back now. But it's a famous quote that Ronald Reagan once made. What he said was, he said, the scariest sentence in the English language is, I'm here from the government and I'd like to help. <laughs> what he meant by that, of course, is that he really captured a moment because for many years in the United States, people's uh, confidence in the institution of government had been uh, undermined. Uh, the Vietnam War, of course, the protests against that, the way that uh, excuse me, Richard Nixon was caught uh, both in Watergate and also eventually it was clear that uh, bombing was occurring uh, uh, secretly in Laos and Cambodia. Of course, also uh, when uh, Jimmy Carter took over and they had that stagflation and uh, interest rates at 20% and the crisis in which they didn't have enough gas uh, to fuel the vehicles in America. People had become very cynical towards government and felt that uh, government had betrayed them. And so when you said, I'm here from the government, people immediately thought, I don't want much of that because the government does not do a very good job and I don't trust it. I'd like to update that uh, a good 40 years later and say, perhaps the scariest sentence now in the English language for people in Canada is, I'm here from the church and I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. <clears throat> I think many times people, uh, unfortunately, over the years have grown less confident in the church as an institution and have many times been burned by people who perhaps even very honestly and with well-meaning intent go to try and share their faith with other people. And as a result, I think evangelism and sharing faith have generally gotten a bad reputation. It makes us very cautious about wanting to share our faith. And we feel very uncomfortable when we feel pressured by other people to come to a closer relationship with Jesus. It's one of the reasons why today's passage in the gospel is a difficult passage for us to listen to, because I believe that Jesus really pushes us to say that sharing our faith is not simply something we do if we're particularly gifted in it or if we feel particularly called but instead is something that's part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. Sharing your faith is something that is very important to being a disciple. I'd like to talk to you about the challenge Jesus gives us about sharing our faith, about some of the challenges, of course, that uh, we face and how we can overcome them, and to not feel as scared by this as we might initially feel when we hear the word evangelism. So first of all, what's going on here, and why is it that I say that Jesus is challenging all of us to go and share our faith? Well, Jesus here, uh, if you'll remember back to last week, Jesus has been uh, going about uh, Galilee. He's been speaking to people about the kingdom of God. He's been preaching. He's been healing. He's been doing things on his own that have really impressed people, and many crowds gather. But, of course, we found last week that when he went through and started working his way towards Jerusalem, he went through the, the area of Samaria, and the towns of Samaria did not want anything to do with Jesus. And so his disciples say, will you send down the, the fire of heaven and destroy them? And no, Jesus rebukes them. And Jesus instead warns them, it's a difficult journey being a disciple, but I still want you to come and follow me through the difficult times. The very next passage is where we are today in Luke chapter 10. And after going through all of those challenges and all the ways in which Jesus and his disciples have been rejected, then Jesus says to his disciples, uh, not just the 12, but he gathers 70 of the people who have been following him and saying, now I've got an important task. And this is what he says. The Lord appointed 70 others, so in addition to the 12 disciples, and he sent them on ahead of him and pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
And then he he goes on to tell them uh, other things that they're supposed to do. Uh, And then he says, uh, whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what's set before you, cure the sick who are there, say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Jesus is commissioning 70 people to go off and do the very things that Jesus himself had been doing. We look at this and, of course, we might say to ourselves, well, you know, Jesus has picked out 70 particularly gifted individuals to go and do this, and that's their job. They go out into these different towns. But unfortunately, Jesus doesn't just do that here. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 10, Jesus takes the 12 disciples and he tells them the very same thing. Go off into these villages and preach the Gospel and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus takes these 70 people and he says, now it's your job to go off and bring the gospel and do the very same things that I do. And then, of course, getting even closer to home, and this is what makes it really uncomfortable, we get towards the end of Luke's gospel and move into Acts when Jesus is ascending into heaven. His last words are, go and make more disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying that I am empowering you to do the very things you've been watching me to do. What's even more interesting here is that Jesus says that it's almost as if when you are going to be sent into these villages and to these homes, you're not just being sent as guys that I've sent off to do some interesting job and then come home so I can take over. Jesus instead is actually saying, when you enter these towns and into these homes, I am actually there. The kingdom of God is actually coming with you. You are actually representing me just as much as I represent myself when I go about in the world. Listen to the words that Jesus says in describing what the disciples will do. He says, first say, peace to this house, and if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. The peace of God will actually accompany you and will actually come to a house when you say it. Then what else does he say? He says, you say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. You are there, I'm not. Jesus is somewhere else. He sent these two people, two by two, into the villages, and when they are there, the kingdom of God has come near. That's the language Jesus says whenever he's present. Then later on, he says, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Jesus is saying that, in fact, you are my hands and my feet. You are the person whose tongue is actually speaking my words. These disciples are going into the towns and villages to tell them about the kingdom of God, and they are as if Jesus himself was right there in their midst. And this is very important because I believe that it's primarily what Jesus is saying to us, a shocking challenge, but an incredible responsibility and privilege. That we who gather here today and we do not have the physical presence of Jesus, our neighborhoods do not have the physical presence of Jesus, Our neighborhoods have the physical presence of you and me, and we are the ones who are to represent and to bring Christ into places of the world so that Jesus can make his uh, kingdom grow. That's a really challenging thing for us to believe and to trust in, but it is a very important insight because I believe that more than anything else, what we are to do when we want to share our faith is to simply be present and show Jesus in the way that we love our neighbors and our friends and our family. You know, one of the things that's really difficult and one of the reasons why evangelism has become something that's a bit of a dirty word is because we go out into the world and to our neighborhoods and even amongst our friends and our families and we realize that many times what we will meet are people that the church has heard. Of course, we heard a few weeks ago as we celebrated the Indigenous Day of Prayer and we've often heard over the past few years in which 
the church uh, really let down many Native people in the way that it allowed abuse to occur, in the way that it, it, it suppressed Native culture in Indian residential schools. Sometimes, of course, you hear terrible stories of abuse, and sometimes, unfortunately, you hear everyday stories that don't rise to the level of abuse, but they certainly make you understand why a person doesn't have much interest in the church. Just the other day, I was talking to a man in his 50s, and he was telling me about church and how he was raised in the church, and when he was being prepared for confirmation, the minister there said, uh, you're not going to be allowed to be confirmed unless you cut your hair. This was back in the 1970s, and he was wearing his hair long, and so, of course, eventually his father said, no, I've given permission, and so begrudgingly the pastor said, okay, you can do it, but believe you me, as soon as the confirmation was over, that kid was gone. Petty and stupid. What does your length of hair have to do with approaching and appreciating the gospel? And of course, more often than not, what you hear is not just stories of the church being mean. You hear stories of the church being mind-numbingly boring. How many times you run into people who say, I left the church because it didn't have much connection. I didn't feel the relationships were strong and meaningful. And so you go out into the world and you want to share your faith and people immediately have their eyes glazed right over. I know what you're talking about. I've been there to church and experienced it. No thanks. I don't want what you're selling. An additional difficulty, frankly, we have is because selling is the primary model that we understand nowadays. Of course, what do we look at as we go out into the world? It gradually happened, but it's become something that we've deadened to. But if you take a step back and realize it, it is shocking how much advertising and how many sales pitches we encounter every single day. I remember a while back I saw one of those older clips of a hockey game uh, while the playoffs were going on. What I noticed about that, and I had entirely forgotten, is they're playing hockey, but you notice that all of the boards are all white. There's nothing on them. Nowadays, you look at all the boards, and every single one of them has an advertisement. When I would go see hockey games in Vancouver with my grandfather, we'd go to the Coliseum. That's what it was. It was a Coliseum. Now, if I want to go to Ottawa, I can't remember if it's the Corel Center or the Canadian Tire Center or, or whatever it is now, Scotiabank, or, or who knows what it's going to be next year. Every single square inch, it seems, of free space is now covered with ads. Every time you turn on your, uh, your smartphone, what do you get? You get advertisements for something going on, and you hear ding because somebody wants to sell you something. And of course, all of us have those experiences, and what does it mean? That the only way you can survive in this world is if you put up a defense and say, look, I know everybody's trying to sell something, everybody's trying to get something out of me, and it's very, very hard for us to talk about Jesus in a way that doesn't just confirm that. People shut right down. So why is it important we embrace that we are the presence of Christ in our neighborhoods and in our families? I believe it's because it's when we embody faith, when we actually live out our faith in ways that people can see that is about the only thing that breaks through that kind of cynicism people have towards faith and towards institutions. If you feel the only way you can share your faith is by having an excellent sales pitch that convinces people that Jesus is the Lord because you've overwhelmed them with your charm and your charisma, that's not going to work for most of us. Works for me, of course. But. but in fact, what overwhelms people is when they actually look into your lives and they see that you're sharing who you really are and that you really are a loving person. Do you know why Jesus was so successful in the ministry that he undertook? It wasn't simply that he preached and taught well. Sometimes people rejected him. We find even when Jesus goes to his hometown in Luke chapter 4, Jesus speaks to them and they want to throw him off a cliff. That didn't go down so well. But why do crowds follow him wherever he goes? Because he eats with tax collectors and he eats with sinners. 
He loves the people who come to him. He doesn't judge the people who come to him. And people who cry out, who seem to be unimportant in the eyes of the world, are important to Jesus. Blind Bartimaeus, as he's walking into Jericho, cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody says, shut up. But Jesus stops and he heals the man. The disciples shoo away the children. We've got more important things to do. But Jesus says, no, let the little children come to me. What opened people's hearts to the message Jesus had to preach was when they saw his life lived in such a way that people knew he genuinely actually loved them. And that is what our task is as Christians. And it doesn't have to be something grand. It in fact starts with something small done on a consistent basis. You know, as a parent, one of the things that I find most challenging is to see how is it that I share my faith with my kids. I know for a bitter experience that if I sit them down and give them a lecture about something, those same eyes just glaze right over, no matter what it is. And it's certainly true when it comes to faith. Do you know what it is that really shares the love of Jesus with my children? Is instead of saying, how can I get them out the door quick to get them ready for church? Instead of just saying, how can I shut them up so they'll go to bed? It's not just, how can I get them to eat their vegetables when they don't want to? It's when it's within the context of me saying, how was your day? How do I know uh, what you've been doing? Who are your friends? Do I know who your teachers are and the things that trouble you? When you have children and grandchildren in your life that you actually spend time with and listen to and show you treat them as persons and you give them the respect that God wants you to give them, that is when they open their hearts and they're ready and willing and able to listen to what you have to say. Do you know what's even more important when we understand what sharing our faith is about? Is that when we show who we are, it is inevitable that what we love starts coming forth. Think about somebody maybe in your circle of friends and family who love golfing, for example. You know, if you really get to know them, it does not take long before you realize this guy likes to golf. Not because he sits you down and gives you five points about why golf is important, but because you notice that he has a little golf symbol on his shirt. You notice that when you phone on Saturday morning, he's always out because he's on the golf course that he talks to you about what's happening in the Masters and the PGA. These are things that authentically show who this person is, and if you start to get interested in golf, it's because this person is enthusiastic and open and honest, and that's the same way it is with a faith. If a person knows they are loved by you and you are an open and honest person, they will see Christ working through you, and Christ will be the one who draws them close. So there's our challenge it's also a challenge that's not as scary as we think it is because what it really starts with is simply loving the people that God has placed across your path and showing them by your love the love that Jesus has for them. Do you know there's a second really important thing that happens in this passage that's a real encouragement for us and takes away some of its fear. Do you notice what Jesus says just before he tells them all these difficult things that are about to happen? Jesus says this in verse uh, 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Think about that image for a moment. Jesus says there are fields that are ready for harvesting. The fruit is ripe. It just needs to be plucked. We don't have enough workers. Do you notice that those workers are being called at the time of the harvest? Who's been doing all the growing up until this point? That seed is scattered on the ground by somebody else. The sun comes down, the rain comes down, it makes all of these seeds grow. The harvest is ready because God has been working through the mechanics of nature to bring about a harvest. All you need to do is go out and pick it up. You know, one of the things that's really encouraging here about what Jesus says to his disciples is that he doesn't say, 
hey, look, this is going to be a really tough job. You have to do everything. Instead, Jesus simply says, go and bring your peace to the places where you're at. In fact, even when they come back and they've had so much success and Jesus is, is saying, right on, you've done a great job. But remember, it's not the fact that everybody thinks you're awesome and has come to embrace who Jesus is that's most important. Instead, he says this, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What is Jesus saying? What's the marker of success? What is it that's truly exciting and wonderful? It's that God loves you deeply and you've come to appreciate and value it. You know, it takes so much pressure off of us because in many ways, especially as a minister, I think, oh my gosh, it's like this entire uh, area of Barhaven has like 80,000 people. And, and what's the percentage? We have maybe 70 people here today. What's 70, uh, what's the percentage of that of 90,000 people? I got all these people who aren't coming to church and I better double down and I better work really hard and, and, and I'm not doing a good job because we don't get 7,000 people here on a Sunday. So easy it is for beat ourselves up as well and to sort of think to ourselves, my gosh, how many people have actually come to faith in Christ through me? You know, the, the, the challenge we often face is that we use these, these, these ideas of our success that don't measure up to what God has given. What does God say is so wonderful here? What is Jesus saying to his disciples? What is so wonderful is that God loves you. You know, I've been looking at a, a really interesting, simple book. It's called The Art of Neighboring. And one of the things that I love about it is a little quote that he gives here. He says, you don't love your neighbors in order to convert their hearts. You love your neighbors because God has converted your heart. In other words, what do you do when you go out and love your neighbors? You simply live out the gospel. You simply live out the love of Christ that God has given to you, regardless of how they respond. Don't put pressure on yourself in believing you have to be Martin Luther King or Billy Graham and simply love the people that God places across your path because by loving those people, you are allowing Jesus' love to work through you. But here's the last thing that I want to share, and I'll share it briefly. Jesus is really clear that sometimes there will be bumps in the road. Listen to some of the things that Jesus talks about. He says, <clears throat> he says, whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Make no mistake, there's going to be some people who don't want to associate with you. You know, one of the things that I find really interesting about friendships as an adult is how hard they've become. Do you know how easy it was when you were a kid? I remember uh, I was listening to a sermon. I can't remember the guy's name it was from because he was years ago. But he was telling a charming little story about how he and his family moved to Mississauga. And so he moved to Mississauga. And of course, all of his, his kids were sad because they left their, their, their friends back at home. And so they had to go out and make new friends. But he said he was, he was in his front porch once. And his son had been traveling around the neighborhood on his bicycle. And he had met a, a, another little boy in the neighborhood. And they had uh, sort of come together in front of the house. And their two uh, front wheels of their, their, their bicycles were touching. And they were both kind of leaning over their, their handlebars and just kind of kicking the ground. And he noticed, he was listening really carefully. And his son said, uh, friends? And the other boy said, friends? And that was all it took, you know? It's a little harder, right? I mean, you think, oh, uh, you want to talk to a neighbor you've seen, waved at for five years, and you don't know your, their name, and you think, you know, I should introduce myself and just say hi. Well, they're going to think, you should know my name. I've told you ten times. Or you think, maybe this person's going to be a jerk, or who knows? 
know what Jesus says? It's just love them anyway. And if they don't respond, just shake the dust off your feet. It's a symbolic act that says, I'm not going to let that negativity cling to me. I'm just going to sweep it right off and go about on my way. That's what we're called to do. Everybody's going to like us. Sometimes people are genuinely jerks, and sometimes it's they got lots going on in their life that make it really hard for them to be friendly. It doesn't really matter, and it's not your problem to solve. What does Jesus say? There are times you'll be pushed away, but remember this. I'll always be with you, even to the end of the age. That's why he says, don't rejoice that the Spirit submit. He says, rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Rejoice that God loves you. It's an awful lot easier for me to respond to rejection out in the world when I come home and I have a family that loves me. Understand that you're a member of the family of God, and that's what this place is meant to be. When you're bruised and beaten by the world and maybe pushed away when you've honestly tried to help someone. The idea is that you come here and through the words you hear, through the sacrament you receive, and through the friendship of the people that you sit around, you can be reminded that you are a member of a family and nothing will ever change that. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Nothing. So remember as you go into the world, Jesus empowers you to act in Jesus' name simply by loving people and trying to love them in the way that Jesus does. And if Jesus wants them to draw closer to him, it's going to happen because they'll see Jesus working through you. And remember, finally, that in the end, it's up to God. All you got to do is love people. And if they don't want to respond with love that you hope they would respond to, shake the dust off your feet because you have a Father in heaven who loves you and a church who welcomes and loves you too. Let that be our guide whenever we try to reach out and to share with this world the good news that Jesus loves it.